as soon as my parents basically pulled out of the driveway, he pulled me aside and he said, you know, you are dirty, you are fat, you are an abomination to God, you are, you know, ugly, all the things and you need to be cleansed. In this episode, we will talk about escaping a cult at 25 years old, numbing her feelings and experiences for over a decade, and now being able to heal on her journey. We'll dive right into Martha Katawi's courageous story, where she's able to find inner peace, finding her voice, being able to help her family get out as well, and now being able to have the space to help others. Be sure to listen in for all the details. Hello, my wonderful VCs. It's Tina, your host. Welcome to The Courageous Inner Beast, the place where you get charged up with courage by calling in your inner beast. Today, we have Martha Glory. Hi, Martha. Please introduce yourself. <laughs> Hi, guys. I am Martha Glory Kartawi. I am a certified life and health coach and also a spiritual mentor, um, but I'm also just a survivor. I'm a vibrant um, woman that's been through a lot of a uh, lot in her 44 years. So I'm really um, humbled that you're having me on your podcast, Tina. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. So moving forward, what is your one courageous story that you'd like to share? Whoa. So I've had a lot of, of need for courage in my life, but um, I guess it, my big courageous story would be that I was born into a religious cult and I spent the first 25 years of my life in that cult. And during that time, um, I experienced uh, excessive trauma, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, sexually. Um, and that has, uh, that's where my story kind of started. And then I've had to navigate and heal for the last 19 years since being out. Wait, so you said you were in there for 25 years and then you've been out? 19. 19. So it's been my math is so bad right now. So you've been, so it's been, with 25, you've been at 25. And then my math is so wrong right now. <laughs> but so I'm, I'm 44. So I was in there for 25 years and I've, I've been out for 19 and I've been on my healing courageous journey ever since. So the last 19 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, how has that been? I mean, I mean, it's 19 years. So I was like, it, a lot from it came from it now. And damn, I don't know. I'm just like thinking like ever, if I were ever to be in one, I just don't, I don't know how, how the process of it, you know, really it's not, I mean, it's, it's not, I mean, of course it's not the same scale as many others. Like with my family, they escape the Vietnam War, for example, oh, that's for example, that is the case. Like, so my family had, I was, I was born here in America, so I don't know that, but just the process of something similar of like figuring out how to leave something. I, I don't know. You know? Yeah. I mean, the, it all starts with courage, right? Like that's why you decide to leave something that is either toxic or not good or painful or traumatizing, whatever it is, it takes the first step is it takes courage to make that decision. 
Yeah. Like I can't imagine what your family went through having to run from a war. Um, and so that's why my story resonates with so many people is because it's not just about a cult. It's about leaving something that no longer serves you or that has hurt you. And so deeply that you don't see any other way, but to leave, like mm -hmm. understanding that you are more than the things that have happened to you. And you are more than the, the um, trauma. You are more than what has been said to you about you, you know, um, and the labels that have been placed on you. And so, um, yeah, that's, you know, I think that that's why it resonates with so many people. I was curious, like, the first thing you said was the first thing you mentioned about how leaving something that doesn't serve you. So what was the thing that didn't serve you? I mean, I mean you mentioned it before, like, but what, what was a wake-up call in that it didn't for, serve you anymore? Well, for me, it wasn't, um, it wasn't personal. What happened was I found my sister on the internet, one of my sisters on the internet, and her and I began chatting and she had been out of the cult for many years. And um, I found out that she was pregnant with her first child and she was all alone because my parents were still in the cult. My siblings um, were scattered all around and she didn't have any support. And for me, that was a sister's heart saying, I'm not letting my sister go through this pregnancy alone. Like I I, I don't know why I need to, but I need to be there for her. And that was my wake up call. It was long after I escaped and long after I started rebuilding my life that I realized it was really for me, right? Like I had come to a point where I, I had chosen myself, but it was a long time before I figured that out, right? Like for me, it was a, it was a choice to be with my sister, to go through the pregnancy with her and to welcome my niece. Um, that it wasn't, it wasn't a, a me thing at that time. Now I understand as I've grown and learned and, and got found my identity and found my self-worth and found my, um, you know, self-awareness that I was choosing myself in that moment, but it was precipitated by my sister. Yeah. That's so great. Like, you know, like, yeah, like I can understand what you mean by, it didn't come like instinctively like about like to choose you but of course something has to happen I think that's also kind of like naturally too when we're geared towards serving or not be being there for others or even just serving others first and then you realize that oh wait that is what I that was for me too it's so uh, oh and I love that I mean just like even that's just like one step you know, moving forward to finally being out now. And then was it just you that left the cult or was it? So I'm the only one from my family that lived in the compound. So um, the rest of my siblings and my parents didn't live in the compound. Um, I was so chosen. The, that's where the cult leader lived oh. um, or his, her, his personal residence. And so um, I moved into the compound at eight, age 18, seven days after I graduated high school, because I was basically told by the cult leader that that's what I would do. Mm -hmm. And so I lived in, in the compound from age 18 till 25 when I escaped. Um, so it, it, was, uh, it was during that time where the majority of the trauma took place for me. Oh, because you were like in close proximity with the shit. I can't even finish that. I was like, 
so before 18 you're like okay like it, was, it wasn't too bad as it was for your experience was it because you were like underage and like you're like well, they didn't you know legal i don't know if the law applies i don't know no there's no there's no law in cults but you know no it he it was just he chose me and so i i went to live in the compound but um, you know, and I, I wouldn't say that before moving into the compound that I had any any semblance of a normal life that, you know, we we dressed differently. We had, you know, we wore long skirts and couldn't cut our hair and wore blouses and no makeup and no jewelry. And, uh, you know, it, we lived very plain um, mm -hmm. and, and um, you know, uh, existence. Right. And there was a whole list of foods we didn't eat. And. So everything was very controlled by the cult leader and everything was very, um, you know, the, he was intertwined in all parts of our lives. So I wouldn't say that before 18 that my life was normal on, you know, the scale of whatever normal is. But yeah, it did. It got a lot worse when I moved to the compound. Shoot. Wait, so what food can't you Wait, what food can't you eat? So, well, when I was in the cult, now I eat whatever I want. But when I was in the cult, you know, we didn't eat chocolate. We didn't drink coffee. We didn't eat pork. We didn't eat pizza or pasta or, you know, like the, the and the dietary restrictions were ever changing based on the whims, uh, the whim of the leader. Like he, when I say he literally controlled everything we did, he controlled everything we did everything from eating to what job we would take or what school we would go to or whether to have a medical procedure. He controlled everything. Oh my goodness. Mm. I can't even like, I'm just like feeling all this feeling for you. <laughs> I'm just like, <sighs> um, and then you said that it got worse when, and it's just where like all like, like this, what like what happened when you start moving when you moved into the compound? Well, it started out with um, as soon as my parents basically pulled out of the driveway, he pulled me aside and he said, "You know, you are dirty, you are fat, you are an abomination to God, you are you know ugly, oh all the things, God. and you need to be cleansed." And so the cleansing came in the form of basically starvation he would give me a gallon of tang every day and this went on for almost five months and it was literal starvation and a few times during the weekends I would get iceberg lettuce but like uh, it was it was a cleansing um and for me being you know a, a teenager like I I knew the things that I had done, right? Like, and so there's part of you that's like, oh, maybe this is my penance. Maybe I do need to be cleansed of the things that I have done, you know? And so, um, but it just, it dragged on and on. And I became, the reason why it stopped is because I literally became so sick that I passed out. And yeah, and so. When, and that's when he's like, okay, you're done. That, well, it wasn't even that I was done. I, I don't remember what was said because I was out. I was out cold and I don't know how long I was out. I was never given any medical attention. There was a doctor within the group that was summoned and she um, treated me, but I don't, I never got medical attention. I don't know. I have very fuzzy 
um, memories of that time of coming out of it. I don't, I don't remember. I know that I couldn't eat solid food for a while. It took me a long time to get my system back regulated. Um, so yeah. Wait, so I know you said you passed out and then, you know, regulation of your digestive system. So I know you said, I know you said earlier about that he wanted you to uh, cleanse for five months. And were, did, were you cleansed before the five months? I was wondering if, like, if he, he needed he didn't to finish give me a it. Time. He never gave me a time. I, I assumed it would be a few days, a few, like, I had no earthly clue that it would end up being five months. It was on his time because I didn't have access to food. Like, I had, like, I had to get food from him or from somebody that he had in charge of me. So, I I had no idea that this would drag on for five months and it probably would have dragged on longer if I hadn't become so sick and that my systems hadn't all shut down. Okay. For some reason, I think I misunderstood and thought that he wanted you to starve for five months and then somehow. There was no, when he, when he told me about it, there was no deadline. I didn't know what that was. And like, so how did, so how long did that take? like re-regulating your digestive system to finally be able to eat again after you've been cleansed too um well I I don't really think I was cleansed let's be really honest about that like (laughs) after I was starved um again it's very fuzzy but I know that I had I had issues related to that starvation for years for years whether it was my hormones or whether it was my gastrointestinal system or what it was, I had, I still have issues that I relate back to that, that some things just haven't gotten back to normal ever. And it's been, you know, 20 some years since that happened. So I I don't, like what they said, is this things that you can't eat anymore or just like no it's it's more like I have allergies that I never had before I have um just my digestive system was never right you know it took years and years for my digestive system to work properly um I didn't menstruate for about eight years after that happened eight years yeah I mean it took years for my system to get um, back to it, actually it was probably like five years that I didn't menstruate but it was years that yeah, my body I mean, I that still... took my body to get back to some semblance of of normal I mean five years is still a long time regardless like already like for us women like even missing a period for like two months we're already like having the scare of like what happened but then for you like for five years oh my goodness I'm just like, I can't, I can't even. <laughs> oh, man. And it was, was this like the fight, like within, still within when you're in the cold or even after you left and it was still. No, this was, I was in the compound for eight years. So this was all during that first eight years that I was at the compound. And you didn't have your period for the first five years when you were living there. How did you, wait, so how did, how were you able to menstruate still like after the fifth year or so? I just, I guess your body just started. Yeah, your my body eventually caught up. Mm, man. And then how was it? So, and you left when you were 25. And how are you, how are you now in guards of like your living situation? Not living, but just like your lifestyle now. And just 
learning what, hap- what happened to you then. Right. It's been a journey. It's been a really, really long and taxing journey um, because literally when I got out at 25, I was a stunted 18 year old, really. Like I um, was entering a world that I didn't recognize and I was entering a world that didn't know my secrets or my traumas or my pains. And so, you know, I had to embrace all these things that I, I knew nothing about and I had to forge ahead and recreate an identity, right? Like I had um, left people that knew me and were my good friends and they had no idea what had happened to me. And so I was reconnecting with people that hadn't seen me in years and had heard crazy things that, that had happened to me. And, you know, like I had to create this identity and um, a lot of it was, was lies because I wasn't ready to tell my truth. I wasn't ready to stand in my truth and, 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 you know, explain what had happened over the last eight years. But, you know, the, the people that are closest to me were patient and really held space for me and allowed me my time to kind of, to kind of become truthful. And so I just, you know, I poured myself into, to work. I got a job as soon as I got out and I really poured myself into work and creating a life for myself, um, because I had no support. I had no, you know, my parents were still in. Um, and so I, I had to, I had to get, get on with life, even though I felt ill-prepared. Um, but the one thing I did know how to do was work. And so I, I just worked. I did everything that I could to just work and make money and to create to create some semblance of, of what normal would look like for somebody that was running from their past. Yeah. Wait, so, I mean, that's amazing. Like, you know, the first thing you did was like find a job after you left because you're just trying to find something that feels like, like within your capacity of like what feels okay to do. That you could control, right? Yeah. Like, for me, working was a way, something that I could control, and it was also numbing. If I was busy and I kept busy, I wasn't having to feel. I wasn't having to deal. I wasn't having to, you know, like, as long as I would stay busy and I was working, I could numb, right? Yeah. And so that's that's what, that's what I did. I know you mentioned earlier about, like, um, reconnecting with people from before then wait so when did you so sit for 25 years so I'm assuming you weren't in there yet in your early years when you're like a baby not yet right because I was I'm, born into the cult but I didn't move into the compound until I was 18 so okay so I, I went to public school I lived in you know a house with my family and you know like we I didn't uh, okay. yeah so I had you know outside friends and I had you know um, but then I kind of, I disappeared seven days after high school and um, moved into the compound. Oh, okay. Okay. That's a better understanding because I thought it was completely, you know, isolation for, for that like, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. For, for the, yeah, for the, the isolation, I mean like the whole, the whole time you were there for the full 25 years, I thought you were in full isolation and then. That's a way I was like thinking. I was like, how did you make friends if you were like, you know, isolated? But that was my assumption of it. So um, thank you for clarifying that with me. 
Um, but yeah, so now, like, how's the relationships now that you built reconnected with them? Have you also told the people, told them the truth now too? Because I know you said the oh, beginning yeah. was kind of rough. Yeah, everybody knows the truth now, and I'm I'm a walking um, testimony, right? Like everybody, I don't hide from my past any longer. I don't hide from my story. Um, I'm very grateful that my parents got out six months after I did. And all of my siblings, except for one are out as well. And so we've reconnected as a family. Um, and I've reconnected with the, you know, the friends that are, that have walked this journey with me are lifers, right? Like there's yeah. a few people that, that, you know, as soon as I came back and we reconnected and they gave me the time and the space. And then when they, when I was ready to tell them they were, you know, willing and ready to, to listen and to support and to love me anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and now they're really excited to, to support me in, you know, sharing my story in order to bring light to this dark topic of cult right but also just understanding that the power is within all of us mm -hmm. and for me I had to tap into something that um was unnatural for me you know I had to rekindle a faith even though this was a religious cult I knew nothing about God I knew nothing about a personal relationship that I've had to navigate these things on my own and and find what fit for me and what gave me strength and my faith is one of the things that has really given me the strength the last 19 years to con con to continue to pursue wellness, to continue to pursue healing, to continue to pursue, um, you know, unveiling the secrets and unveiling the challenges and the traumas and the pain in order to heal. Because you can't truly heal if you don't feel the things that have happened to you because those things are stored so deeply into our cellular membranes that it, you know, you have to, you have to feel it and you have to be able to address that in order to let it go and heal and forget. So it's been a, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. Do you know, you know, now that makes sense. Like you have to feel your feelings in order to heal like to, like to actually heal so I know like you said that right off the bat when you left you went straight to work and you worked and you worked to kind of you know that's a sense of your control of like okay I can find a job I can do this but like you also said mentioned earlier it's also a numbing mechanism too for you mm -hmm. and how long did that take during that time to just like the numbing part how long did that take until you're like okay it's time so there were layers of numbing, right? Like yeah. there were, there were layers of numbing. Work was, work was my go-to for the first decade, right? Like yeah. work, I excelled in everything that I did with regards to my career. Mm -hmm. And I, um, you know, I, I did really well in my career, but at the same time, there were other parts of my life completely falling apart um, just for an example, like I, I got married at 27 and, um, you know, I had never been in a safe male relationship, right? And now I'm married to a loving man and a man that really cares about me and, you know, honors me and that, that love and that safety created this 
like eruption in my life because mm -hmm. I had built all these walls of protection around myself. And because, and I had had, they had held me secure for so long, not to have to deal with my feelings and not to have to deal with, you know, the trauma and my husband's love just started peeling away these walls. And now I had to start feeling and I had to start dealing and I had to start being real. Yeah. And so he was probably the very first person that I really started opening up to and sharing about my experiences because I, that also that letting that, that guard down and letting that those walls down led into a manifestation of nightmares and night tears and just a, a lot of physical pain and mental anguish and depression and anxiety. Those things were a manifestation of the trauma that had happened to me years before that was now surfacing. And I had to make a choice either to build the walls back up or to start dealing. And I made the choice to start dealing. Um, and I will always be grateful to my husband for um, allowing me that space and that time and being supportive, even though he had no clue what to do with a little cult girl, like he had, but he was so patient and he was so kind and, um, you know, and so that, that'll, I'll always be grateful for that. You know, years later, I would, I would, we would divorce and we're still great friends um, because I have, I, I, I will always respect that he held space for me and he um, supported me when no one else knew that I even needed the support because I wasn't able to be open yet. I wasn't able to be honest with myself, with my trauma, with my pain. And he carried the load for many years um, as I navigated this new life, right? And so I'll always be grateful for him for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's oh, like my heart. Like it's like, also, like it's really, I, I understand that feeling of like just having someone take a chance on you, you know, and like leaving, like, cause you, you just you left at 25 and then you got married at 27 so in that brief time like he gave you so much trust to like hey i'm here let's do this like i'm here with you i'm gonna be patient with you and it's just like oh i know i know that feeling of like someone just taking a chance on you just being patient with you of it and my <sighs> because <laughs> I'm like I'm I'm on the same boat with you just I love it and like you said too like you will forever be grateful and then like just respecting him in that way just being there with you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and how are you now nowadays it's like I mean it's 19 years now but and then yes yeah, so how are you now as we're like so it's been a, it's, like I said, it's been a long and challenging and courageous needed journey, right, um, of, of this healing. But over these last 19 years, I have found my voice. I have found my inner peace. I have found so much healing. Um, but something that I didn't know about healing that I know now is that we never get to an end point for healing, right? Healing is a journey. And I'm never going to be finished healing because there is still, even though it's very infrequent, there are still things that trigger me. 
to bring me back to a moment, to bring me back to something painful. And then I have to heal through that again. I have to forgive that again. I have to hold space for that again. I have to hold myself, right? Um, and so the healing process is, is, is forever, right? It's, it's for the rest of my human human um, experience. And during this, this time of healing, I have found a passion in desiring to help others, right? Because I navigated this uh, very lonely journey because when I started seeking help, like my first uh, talk therapist after six visits told me, I've never dealt with anybody from a cult and I don't know what to do with you. And I felt abandoned. I felt ashamed. I felt like I'm too broken. Who's going to want to even, how, how does anybody help me? Right. And so I understand what that feels like. And so um, you know, I had to be my own advocate. I had to, I had to go and seek out help. I had to find modalities that would help me heal. And now I have a whole suitcase full of modalities that have helped and healed me these last 19 years. And whether that was craniosacral or whether that was massage therapy or physical therapy or chiropractic care or Reiki or um, you know, spiritual, having a spiritual mentor or having a life coach or all these things that I have done to peel back the layers and to um, find my wholeness and my healing uh, has been a huge journey for me. And so now I'm at a place where I'm ready to give back. I'm ready to hold somebody else's hand when they don't have anybody that understands them or, you know, they feel like they're too broken or that they just need somebody to take a chance on them. And so that's why I became a certified life and health coach is so that I can, I can be that resource for them. I can help them navigate and find the tools that they need to find their inner healing because we all have a story, you know, yes, there yes, maybe yes. no, nobody else that's listening to this podcast, you know, is from a cult, but we all have a story and we're all navigating something, you yes, know, whether yes. that's, divorced parents or whether that's homelessness or whether that's uh, physical abuse or whatever, we all have a story. And so I'm here to hold space for those people, for those, you know, for, for anybody that needs it. And I'm here, you know, just to tell you that you're not alone and that, you know, I, I've been through a lot, but it's prepared me for this moment. It's prepared me to be the best version of myself so that I can help others to, find the best version of themselves oh so well spoken with it oh I like it <laughs> I'm so happy that you're you know it's it's I have no words what you said it's like all encompasses of like what we need and someone just to be there for us when we're when we need it and so thank you so much Martha for just sharing your story and then just being here with us um if what is so what is your one takeaway that you like to share with us? Um, my one takeaway would be that you may be lonely, but you're not alone. And what I mean by that is that, you know, if you are lonely, you have God, you have whatever your belief system is that supports you, that's always there for you, right? 
and I see you, I'm here for you. And I know that there's others that would be as well. And so often we stay isolated because we feel alone or we feel like somebody else won't understand us or that we're too broken to, you know, get help or to share. And the truth is, is that that's, that's in our heads. You know, we are so much stronger than we give ourselves credit for. And when you're able to dig deep and you find the courage to start peeling back the layers and start healing, something magical happens. And it is a process. I'm not saying that this is a quick fix. There, this has been a journey for me, 19 years journey. And it's only been the last, you know, six months or year and a half, I would say, a last year and a half where I'm like, I'm owning my power. I'm own, owning my voice. I'm owning who God's created me to be in order to help others. But it took me a long time to get here. And so this isn't a, you know, this isn't a process for the faint of heart, like, but when you're committed and you understand your value and your worth, then just know that you're not alone. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, that we are not alone. That everything, if we don't have God, we have our own belief system. And we can go from there if we don't know anything else. So thank you for sharing that. And just thank you for being here with us so, so much. Thank you. Uh, Thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a review wherever you're listening and look up for new episodes every Tuesday on the Courageous Inner Beast. Thank you for listening in. If you enjoy our conversation and want to know more about Martha Katawi, please look in the description for more information and for the links.